China manipulating its currency? And if so, what should we be doing about it? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. one of the hottest topics in international trade today. Many American traders, economists, and, yes, politicians say that China has been acting to keep the value of the yuan artificially low so that its exports will be more competitive in world markets. But is this really true? And if it is, how is China accomplishing this feat? Yes, it holds a huge reserve of dollars, but isn't that simply a function of its prowess as an exporter? And haven't a lot of other countries, the U.S. included, done pretty much the same thing with their own currencies? Today, we hear from Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. He believes, in no uncertain terms, that China is a currency manipulator and that its actions have had a severe impact on America's economy and global competitiveness. And he makes the case for why the U.S. needs to take action now to curb China's misbehavior. So here is my conversation with Scott Paul. Scott Paul, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Bob. In your recent letter to Treasury Secretary Liu, you refer to the actions of China with regard to its currency as aggressive intervention. What are you talking about? What is China doing? Uh, It's a good question. First, I think people should understand that every country has some mechanism where the government prints money. And uh, and that's universal, and people may have agreements or disagreements about how much money the government prints as it can affect inflation and all of this. But in China, it goes a step beyond that, uh, and I'll explain. The, the monetary policy in China is uh, what we would call mercantilist. Uh, the, the Chinese government uh, buys a lot of foreign currency, in particular U.S. dollars. Uh, for those who did Economics 101, they would know that that you know, brings the price of their own currency down and raises the value of, of, of the dollar in their, in their home market. Uh, and, and what that acts as is, is a subsidy for their export economy and a de facto tax on American exports to China. And it's an essential ingredient in China's growth and employment strategies. So that's what we talk about with aggressive intervention, is that they've managed their currency policy in a way that spills outside of its borders and has uh, a negative impact on uh, our competitiveness that, that is not based on market fundamentals. These are these are dollars they're acquiring over and above the dollars they get through our buying their their products, right? That's exactly right. I mean, it, it's kind of a a vicious cycle here, where 
you know, American consumers uh, or businesses spend money on Chinese products. Um, that money heads back to China. China uses those proceeds to actually buy U.S. Treasury bonds, which has the benefit of financing American debt, but it also gives China a large supply of U.S. money uh, that it can then use to uh, lower the value of its own currency. Let me just suggest a, a test that people can apply, and, and economists do that. They, they kind of look at the price of a, of a Big Mac and what it should be across the world, and there, there's widespread agreement that a Big Mac in China, if you're buying it in dollars, costs a, you know, costs a, um, a lot less than it otherwise would. And it is a, uh, again, governments will do this, will intervene in, their, in, in currency markets or, or decide to print more money or less money. The problem is when you buy other countries' assets, and that has uh, a direct consequence in terms of the exchange rate and then therefore the competitiveness of our, of our exports uh, or, or imports. Right. So in other words, if without simplifying it overly much, China's additional position in U.S. dollars drives down the value of the yuan, which helps its exports be cheaper in foreign markets. Exactly right. All right. Uh, as you point out, of course, other countries do it, too. And uh, my understanding is that China's not even the worst. It's Taiwan, Singapore, uh, maybe even some European countries are even more egregious in that way. I isn't that the case? Well, if you look at it, uh, Bob, in a, it, from the context of like how much is the currency overvalued or undervalued, that may be the case. Like Switzerland is often cited uh, as, as a currency that is that is probably not not as valued uh, as strongly as it as it otherwise sh should be, even though the the Swiss franc is 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 precious uh, and and worth a lot. Uh, the, the challenge that we have with regard to China is the size and scope of the economy. So there's no question that the yuan is, is under undervalued. I think that any economist who looks at it right, left, or center agrees with this. And so with China, it's, it's both the, the, the fact that it's undervalued uh, and the fact that there is so much commerce uh, flowing back and forth between our two countries, and that that commerce has grown extraordinarily out of whack and has done a lot of damage to uh, supply chains uh, in the United States. It's not based on any model of efficiency or competitiveness. Uh, it's actually a you know an international exchange rate policy uh, that is, that has helped to create this disparity. But should not we Americans be looking in the mirror as well? If you want to talk about powerful countries that are supposedly manipulating their currency through our own recent monetary and fiscal policies, through the Fed's quantitative easing, through our own buying up of treasuries, leading to lower interest rates and therefore a weaker U.S. dollar. Aren't we doing the same thing? Now, I'm glad you asked that question, Bob, because that's that's one of the one of the conclusions that a lot of people uh, try to draw. Uh, and, and here is the fundamental difference. And as I mentioned at the outset, governments print money. Sometimes they print more money, or sometimes they print less money in order to gauge inflation or interest rates. And that's a recognized function 
of governments around the world, whether or not you disagree with the level of, uh, of, of money that's being printed by a particular country. The difference uh, is that quantitative easing was simply the Fed both buying some domestic assets and also increasing the monetary supply through purely domestic means. Uh, what China does is they intervene in foreign currency markets. So they, w- they will buy U.S. bonds, buy U.S. treasuries. The, 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 the Federal Reserve doesn't buy Japanese bonds, Japanese treasuries, or Chinese bonds, Chinese treasuries. So that's one difference. The second difference and kind of the test of whether or not you're a currency manipulator is do you run a large and persistent trade surplus? Uh, and in the case of a country like China, that's certainly the case. Uh, but in the United States, uh, that hasn't been the case for more than 25 years now. We, in fact, have a large and persistent trade deficit, uh, which is an indication that your currency is probably overvalued when when you look uh, in the in the international scope. And then the third test is your level of foreign currency reserves. And so that is how how much, what's the quantity of foreign currency reserves that your central bank or your Federal Reserve holds? Uh, and in the United States, uh, it's a very nominal amount. Uh, we don't hold a lot of foreign currency. However, in the case of China, they hold an exceptional amount of foreign currency reserves, uh, especially U.S. dollars. And instead of shrinking, that amount is growing. So those are kind of the three tests that the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade Organization, uh, and a lot of economists use to gauge whether a country is manipulating its currency or not. So I want to ask you about some specific actions that you're advocating. But before we get to those specifics, I just want to ask you in general what you are asking, the kind of action you're asking for. Would that not lead to a weaker dollar and higher prices for American consumers who are purchasing imported products? Not necessarily. And here is why. You know, we're in a globalized economy and there are uh, for most kinds of products, a lot of supply choices, both domestically and internationally. And because of the retail competition in our country, you know, there's a thin amount of, of, of margin or tolerance for, for price increases. So, so I think that's the, that's the first factor to consider. Uh, the second factor is is when when you look overall at the at the economy. I mean, one of the consequences of China's currency manipulation, in particular, has been really stifling the growth of the productive sector of our economy, uh, and, and that sector tends to pay better wages. And that stagnation has certainly contributed to the the kind of low wages that we've seen in the United States over the last decade where there's been this wage stagnation and where, where you see some some you know income growth but it's been distributed mostly to the shareholder class and not necessarily to to wage earners and if you have a currency that is more imbalanced you're likely to you know, ramp up the productive sector of your economy, that's likely to drive wages a little bit, and that money gets spent. Uh, and that uh, that's generally a good thing for our economy. So where are you seeking relief, and what actions are you advocating 
that will improve the situation, in your opinion? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things that, that needs to be done. And, and I will say, first off, this isn't a partisan criticism because there has not – no one from either party has really stepped up and, 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 and done uh, enough on this. And I will acknowledge that there's a lot of complexity and so that it ha has to be managed uh, very, very carefully. But the first, first thing that, that the administration could and should do is to designate China as a currency man manipulator. They have that opportunity twice a year through a congressionally mandated report, uh, and yet every instance in which this report has been in, uh, has been released during the Obama administration, uh, as it was before during the Bush administration, the Treasury Department has found a very nuanced way to avoid naming China as a currency manipulator. But I think that uh, in order to begin to address the problem, you have to kind of uh, be honest uh, about what the challenge is and then explain to China what what some of the what some of what some of the expectations are in quantifiable terms i think that there should also be an ability for us industries uh, that have been damaged by this competition from currency manipulators and and at this point in particular from from China uh, to seek some relief through our trade adjudication system and our trade enforcement system from that kind of artificial uh, subsidy uh, that that their competitors who are bringing product into the United States from China are are receiving they currently aren't permitted to do that that would take a legislative change and that's something that has actually passed the Congress at various points in time three times over the past uh, eight or nine years but the stars have never aligned and we've never gotten it through the, the chamber the same the same time so I, I think those are two things that should be done and then more broadly I think that you know for instance in uh, in international settings that there has to be uh, among the G20 countries a more robust conversation about using exchange rates to drive competitiveness instead of focusing on domestic consumption uh, and domestic investment. Uh, and, and this is a problem that is vexing China and, and, and need to find an alternate growth model because ultimately one of the advantages of, of, uh, of the yuan appreciating or rising in value would be that the Chinese consumer class would be empowered and they would be buying more product and they would be buying more product from China, but also from countries like the United States. So what would be the teeth behind designating China as a currency manipulator? Tariffs on Chinese goods? It could come to that, although not necessarily. Uh, what what a designation would mean is that it would set out a process where the administration would initiate some negotiations with China on this, and there could be some conversation about restricting market access uh, or raising uh, or, or temporarily raising tariffs. I believe that it wouldn't necessarily get to that point because ultimately China depends on access to the U.S. economy. No one is suggesting they shouldn't have any access to the U.S. economy, but that I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect that we should have the extraordinarily large trade deficit reduced and that reducing that disparity would be beneficial ultimately to, to both economies uh, as China pursues a path towards more domestic investment and the United States looks to, to boost exports, which have been anemic and which have contributed to 
the trade deficit, which in turn really dampens uh, gross domestic product and, and economic growth. You could frame it in a way that would be beneficial to both countries. And a lot of observers believe that China might need an outside stimulus in order to do that, uh, and, and that such a conversation could, uh, could, could provoke that. Certainly, we could expect that any tariffs that we might end up uh, imposing would result in retaliation by, the Ch- by China in kind. Could we not expect that? Well, China has threatened to do that uh, in the past on most trade cases that have been filed against various Chinese product lines based on subsidies or or dumping into the U.S. economy, uh, which, by the way, we are perfectly entitled to do uh, under our bilateral agreement with China or through the World Trade Organization. But ultimately, even though there's been a, a lot of talk about this, the United States has been aggressive in pushing back against that retaliation, not in kind of escalating the tariffs, but in challenging them through the World Trade Organization. And in every case, the U.S. has won. Uh, and so that, retali- that retaliation, which had been threatened, never comes, comes about or there's, there's, there's been compensation made for it. And so it would ultimately be a very hollow threat, one that couldn't be realized and one that would be much more self-defeating for China uh, than it would have any impact on the United States. Now, I understand at the same time that there are some businesses, particularly if China were to put out a list of, of potential targets, that would, that would express concern about that. Uh, and, and they would be, uh, you know, I would express concern too if I saw my industry on, on such a list. Uh, the, the thing to, to, I think, keep in mind is, is ultimately what the result is. And the result hasn't been reduced market access to China or, or, or tariffs that have been imposed uh, without some compensation that's been provided a little later on. But, but I, I feel pretty confident that the, the trade officials in this administration, at least, uh, have been pushing back aggressively against any kind of threatened retaliation for cases like this. Notwithstanding this persistent U.S. trade deficit that you cite, hasn't China made some progress over the years? Hasn't the yuan gotten stronger? I saw a statistic that China's current account had gone from about, well, I think 10.7% of GDP back in 2007 to around 2% today. So it seems like they are making some effort. There is no doubt that some progress has been made, although not enough, and in some cases they've taken some steps back. The function of the current account change in China is mostly the result of of energy consumption and energy costs. And China is a net energy importer. So the exports, the, the goods, you know, the goods uh, exports that China excels at uh, have, have been somewhat offset by increased coal and oil and, and, and gas imports uh, into China, which kind of, you know, again, skews the overall picture a little bit. So that's, I think that's factor number one. Factor number two is that, yes, since 2010, the yuan has, has, has been depegged from the dollar a little bit, but its growth has been managed very carefully. And in particular, about over the last 14 months uh, or so, the yuan is at the same same level. I mean, it's fluctuated between those 14 months, but we're we're kind of back where we started from 14 months ago. When when you when you look at the relative growth rates of the United States and of China, uh, that shouldn't be the case uh, because as your as your economy grows, and even though the Chinese economy is not growing at maybe nine or 10 percent, but it's still growing at 
but six, seven, or eight percent, whereas the United States growth is still, you know, somewhere two, three, three and a half percent. There should be a much more dramatic closing of the gap in the currencies, and that simply hasn't been occurred. And then the tests that organizations like the uh, Institute for International Economics or the Economic Policy Institute would apply to it uh, would also show, uh, or the Big Mac Index, which I mentioned, would show that the the yuan is still dramatically undervalued and our trade deficit is is widening. In fact, the trade deficit with China uh, in September reached $35 billion in one month, which is an all-time record. But can't we expect further improvement by China's own economic policies as it moves to reduce its dependence on exports, as it moves to become more of a domestic demand-driven economy? Would that not automatically uh, cause for a, uh, a, a better balance between the yuan and the dollar? I think automatically is the is the key word there, and I don't think that there's anything automatic about it. I mean, you have some forces within China that I believe favor financial reform uh, and, and getting to that point. And believe me, they can't get there fast enough. For me, I think it's incredibly important both for the Chinese economy and for the American economy to that happen. But uh, standing in the path of that are the state-owned enterprises, uh, and, and much of the Chinese manufacturing economy is owned partially or wholly by the Chinese government, these these large firms tend to be incredibly inefficient and tend to depend on uh, on exports just as much as, as as domestic economic growth for their markets, uh, and and they wouldn't be able to access those markets without some sort of a subsidy. So you have this push and pull within China. I don't think there's anything automatic about it, and. In fact, uh, really the only time that China has moved more aggressively to appreciate its currency is in the, fa- is in the, is in the face of possible U.S. action. This happened from a period from 2005 to 2008 after a vote in the Senate to impose tariffs on China. This happened again in 2010 after our Treasury Secretary indicated that that. that Tim Geithner indicated that we had finally had enough of the peg and that it had to be lifted. And there was also congressional action in 2010. There was Senate action in 2011 that tended to spur further appreciation in the yuan. And in fact, I think there's much more evidence that the yuan appreciates not based on any sort of market force, but directly in response to some of the pressure they see the United States applying. Okay, just a couple of quick questions I want to ask you before, <clears throat> before we run out of time. Two gigantic free trade agreements currently in negotiation uh, in the Pacific and in, in uh, Atlantic. Do they address the issue of concurrency manipulation, uh, and should they? It, it's a good question. They currently do not. The, they, they should. The reason being that exchange rates can have an impact on trade flows like no other aspect of a trade agreement. And just rewinding to NAFTA and taking kind of all the politics and the atmospherics out of it, Mexico uh, ended up 
devaluing the peso in the aftermath of the passage of, of NAFTA, which for probably a good four or five years uh, really dramatically altered and shaped uh, trade flows between those countries that would not have otherwise occurred and ultimately which weren't, weren't, weren't helpful for, for either economy. I, I think that there needs to be some mechanism to address the use of exchange rates as a, as a, as a competitive tool uh, and that those need to be part of any trade agreement, absolutely. Okay, one final question about the political landscape here at home. We woke up this morning to the prospect of a new Congress in January, Republican-controlled both in the House and the Senate. What impact do you think that will have on American policy with regard to China and its currency? Uh, I, I think it's too early to tell, although I know from our work in the past in particular that there are a number of Republican senators and Republican members of Congress uh, who feel, feel very strongly, very passionately about this issue, uh, just as there were a number of Democrats. If anything, the fact that this transition might it might accelerate a trade agenda. Uh, I actually think it may be even more likely that the, that the currency issue gets addressed uh, as a piece of that, uh, as if the rather than if the trade agenda was was kind of going nowhere. So, so I would I would classify myself as cautiously optimistic. Uh, this point, but we will be certainly working uh, with the new, newly constituted Senate and uh, House representatives to try to make that a reality. Scott Paul, I want to thank you so much for shedding some light on this issue of uh, currency balances between the U.S. and China and uh, offering the position of the Alliance for American Manufacturing as well. Thank you so much for being with us. Bob, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Scott Paul of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, explaining why his organization believes that China is a currency manipulator. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.